Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I will be continuing to read The War Diaries as they come in from Amber and Paul from Poland. War Diaries, May 21st, 2022, Day 87. She starts with a quote from Dr. Timothy Snyder, Professor of History, Yale University. We understand more about fascism than we did in the 1930s. We now know where it led. We should recognize fascism because then we know what we are dealing with. But to recognize it is not to undo it. Fascism is not a debating position, but a cult of will that emanates fiction. It is about the mystique of a man who heals the world with violence, and it will be sustained by propaganda right to the end. It can be undone only by demonstrations of the leader's weakness. The fascist leader has to be defeated, which means that those who oppose fascism have to do what is necessary to defeat him. Only then do the myths come crashing down. So here's continuing the diaries. Hope of return is in the hearts of many in exile. The Russians are moving further away from Kharkiv toward the Donbas area. There is still complex shelling and bombing within 40 kilometers of the area from which our residents once lived. So no one is rushing to get back, though longing to go home. I understand that the infrastructure is coming back to life. There is a probability that the underground transportation system will be operational again soon and schools are resuming their studies online. There are sufficient food supplies, though petrol is a problem. Only 10 liters per car allowed. I don't know if that's once a week or less or more. For that matter, I do not know that those who depend on their cars for work work could not manage on such a small amount. The distressing news is that the Ukrainians have had to surrender Maripol. Depending with whom you speak and on the hour of the day, some say that there is still more to come, that in the west of the country there are random missile attacks and the Donbas is completely destroyed. Dnipro is under attack according to those from that city. But yesterday was Alicia's birthday she turned seven. It was quite the celebration. Everyone received a handwritten invitation and everyone attended. There were puzzles and games, water balloons, rope swings, cakes, candles, and grilled meats. After the children went to bed, many of us continued to indulge in the festivities, drinking wine and talking politics. It's not my pastime, especially considering the language barrier, but I've been to enough outdoor parties in Poland to know that after all the talk winds down, there will be singing if patient enough to wait. 
I was not disappointed. Fortunately, the singing carried on into the night long after it became apparent that we can do nothing to influence the leadership of a country short of revolution. Yulia and I, with the help of a translator, concluded this revolution would look like small communities who valued the imagination, art, music, poetry, and the skills required to care for oneself, such as tailoring one's own clothes, growing one's own food, living off-grid, caring for each other, defending each other. Yes, I know, the high-minded idealism of a utopia, and we know where that can lead. Still, to wake up to the strings of the violin sounding, the poet struggling with the pen, the breeze, the children playing in harmony, and the occasional conflict does seduce one into thinking the idea of a small community not, might not be such a bad idea. This is how we're managing at Sichao. There are two women who are working in the garden on a work agreement, both paid employees. We anticipate a flourishing organic garden this year, provided the rain cooperates. Otherwise, we will be watering a lot. There is the formidable Natasha in the kitchen, also a paid employee who works as hard as a team of oxen. Each family joins her on their appointed day of cooking, producing the most delicious soups and salads. Oksana Kachinsko and Oskana Kalad have transformed our tables with their beautiful table linen and now are busily making summer clothes for the children. Did I mention the curtains? I think we need to buy one more machine. See the link to review their work. Sasha and Sasha are helping Ramek in the park, trimming trees, clearing leaves, raking new gravel, keeping the grounds looking beautiful. Our gardeners have also cleared a space in front of the house for cut flowers. The students are busy with schoolwork, the preschoolers are adjusting to their new environment, and everyone in the house is savoring the weather to its fullest. The Polish tutor comes twice a week to a room full of attendees, and twice a week, Paul instructs Alicia on the recorder. If you're lucky enough to be around and the two of them are practicing together, you won't regret it. We are like a family making the best of our days together under these most extraordinary circumstances. It might be worth mentioning that a few tears fell yesterday because Alicia's father has missed his daughter's birthday for the first time in her seven years. It is also worth worth mentioning that the tears of the Ukrainian women are not impotent, but tears with backbone and belligerence. War Diaries, June 10th, 2022, day 107. What next? The war is taking a turn none of us expected, especially the renewed attacks on Kyiv, where explosions and a barrage of missile attacks disrupted their previous month-long stillness. Yesterday, a grocery store in Kharkiv was bombed. Vladislav is text from Turkey. Last month, I thought that probably would be possible to come back nearest time and the situation becoming more calm, but now again seeing that there is not a light at the end of the tunnel, and it will be continuing a long time. In Kharkiv, they are bombing every day, but in spite of this, a lot of people have come back, at least now transport works, and there's no humanitarian problem, 
So if you have paid money and do not lose job, there is possible to live. Big problem with Maripol, Kherson, and people lost their hope that these cities will come back to Ukraine. People already can get their Russian passport. So if some Ukrainians support Russian world, they can go to Kherson and officially get Russian passport. I still have hope deep inside to come back home by the end of the summer, but time will show. Vladislava was our first resident to appear at Sichau, or the other way I pronounce it, I can't remember, with her mother, Lena and Daria, who was pregnant at the time. She who that's it. Daria is still here now with her daughter, Diana, husband, Igor, and his parents, Tatiana and Sasha. If Vladislava cannot go back home, she and her mother will likely return to Shihav. Clearly, however, if they are bombing grocery stores in Kharkiv, it makes sense that they are trying to create a humanitarian crisis, much like they did in Maripol. What's next? Natalia, our precious five-year-old with Down syndrome, autism, heart condition, and now a hernia that needs surgery. Paul has uncovered every stone trying to get the surgery pushed through our national health provider without much success. The several cardiologists with whom he has consulted say that there has to be another complete set of tests before they will consider surgery. Plus, we must wait another year. These tests were run in the Ukraine just before the war. So Paul drove them an hour away to a translator of medical doc documents, hoping translated tests will be accepted. Presumably, there's a law in Poland that allows for only Polish doctors to conduct such tests when considering further surgeries. She is a plucky little creature, but still having had two previous open heart surgeries, the thought of now another operation requiring general anesthesia is a reason to proceed cautiously, which may mean going private. Once the tests from the Ukraine are translated, then we can take the next step in searching for another cardiologist who can see us within a reasonable time frame and can advise to our legal restrictions, if there really are any, and can basically direct us to the safest, most expedient path possible. In the kitchen this week, we've had two groups of women cooking, one group preparing lunch for the community and the other preparing meals for artists in the palace, a commitment we made two years ago to host artists from America. There were about eight of us in the kitchen circumventing potential collision yesterday as we maneuvered our way to the finish line. What made it all the more interesting is that one group was preparing vegan dishes while the other the usual Ukrainian fare. I'd say encountering more than a physical collision, but a culinary ideology as one cook looked suspiciously at the other. The group of artists in the palace are working on a project pioneered by a woman in New York whose Polish Jewish grandmother miraculously survived the Holocaust. She works with maps showing how there were high functioning Jewish villages before the war, including schools, synagogues, bakers, tailors, butchers, and then the how the demographic changed considerably after the war. It's a fascinating project which has expanded over the years to include memoir writing and music. The central theme of the work is loss. 
Our residents don't know about this project, even though the visiting artists were eager to hear about their stories of loss. Paula and I declined on their behalf. There was even a suggestion of reframing the question of what a future home or a rebuilding of a destroyed one would look like. In either case, the sensitivity is notable. As written in Ecclesiastics, to everything there is a season, Ecclesiastes, to everything there is a season, a time to keep silent and a time to speak. It is too soon to speak of loss because when no one knows to what extent the loss, the war is not over. One of the hardest concepts to communicate to someone is active war. Not even I entirely understand. As I gaze out my window on our trees in full leaf, the sun casting its shadows, the children at play, creating a picture of beauty and serenity. How can I imagine a scorched landscape with plumes of smoke rising on the horizon? And yet it was like this here in Poland 80 years ago. There is a time for action and a time for reflection. What happened in Poland during World War II can now be reflected upon. We can write books and films and plays and make art and paint and dance this story, but not for the Ukrainians, not now. Now the women must cook, they must garden, they must sew, they must paint beautiful landscapes, they must read playful, happy stories to their children, they may, must take the bus to town, they must gather on Friday nights to drink wine together and tell their own stories to each other not the ones we may want to hear as a spectator. This is a private world exclusive to those who understand the concept of active war. What is next? For Eager, his parents, Dasha and baby Diana, they are moving to Krakow in the morning. I stepped away a few minutes ago to get a cup of coffee and met Eager in the kitchen who told me the news. His company has opened an office in Krakow. I knew the move was imminent, but I didn't know how much trouble they'd had over the past month, the failed attempts to secure an apartment after they'd been promised one, having to be in constant contact with social media, watching for opportunities, which would be listed and then 10 minutes later removed. He told me that he was once 15 miles from the city center on his way to sign a lease on an apartment unseen when the landlord said, sorry, not available anymore. In addition, Dasha said that her parents lived very near where the grocery store in Kharkiv was bombed yesterday or the day before, but they don't want to leave just yet. They keep hoping, but Dasha says that already the trouble is becoming currency in many parts of Ukraine, specifically near to where her parents live. And she so wishes she would join, they would join them in Krakow. As it is, the apartment there is far too small for four adults and a baby, but they must start over again somewhere. Dasha agreed with me that the Russians will continue to bomb the Ukraine's food supplies. The other crisis about to develop in Poland is from areas like Zakopane, where hotels have been accommodating refugees, but are now asking all to leave unless they pay. We have a family here with other family members in a hotel, and they've been asked to leave. When they were offered Shehoop, they declined, say, they, saying they would seek help from the volunteer service near them to find them accommodation. I hope they find something because we have a mother, grandmother, and a baby 
coming across the border in a few days for the room where Igor and Dasha were staying. What next? What's on my mind? I'm worried about the Ukrainians in winter with no heat and food supplies in short order. I am worried about the refugees here in Poland without adequate care. I worry about the children with special needs and the animals left behind. Two days ago, one of the women came up to me in a slight panic. Her son had torn his shoes. They were ruined and he only had this one pair. How would he go to school? It was 6.30 in the evening and I was already quite tired, but there was something so tangible in her voice, in her eyes. Her boy had no shoes. There was something archetypal, typal about shoes, and I couldn't explain it to Paul, who wanted me to wait until the next day to go out. I mean, I insisted on taking them at that moment. The relief was immediate. I've been to Holocaust museums throughout Europe and in America, and there's something about the shoes that I can't explain, but it sends me into a state of despair when I think of someone who hasn't a pair of shoes. We bought two pairs for him and two for mama. They didn't want to take advantage, so they didn't mention they had only the shoes they came with when they crossed the border. I'm attaching a link to the BBC article I read on five ways the war may play out. It's a sobering article, another worry. And finally, dear Paul, who keeps up with all the doctor's appointments, taking this one here and that one there, acting translator and comforter for those who are sick and frightened in a foreign country. I have much more to say, but it must wait until the next installment. Till then, thank you for reading. Thank you for caring. Thank you for your contributions. I perish to think where I'd be without you. The link is www.bbc.com slash news slash world hyphen Europe hyphen 616-744-69. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at Interviews with Innocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.